0: So Melanie, what makes you beautiful?
1: I'm really funny, I'm a medium kind,
2: and <laughs> uh,
1: I care about what happens to human beings, whether they're the ones in my family or the ones that I don't know. Really, everything on the inside. Yeah,
0: I think you're pretty. Just like you know pretty, just like a pretty person.
1: I mean thanks you're
0: welcome I mean
1: I think so too Mm -hmm. so just say that
0: (laughs) what makes you beautiful your face your face makes you beautiful my face makes
1: me beautiful yeah
0: and all those other lovely things that you just said
1: yeah but here's the thing is that like if you have like that I don't ever want to lead with that do you want to lead with that I mean I want to lead with that like you got, you always want to lead with like I'm really smart and I'm a good to the viewer and I don't care about the universe. Like nobody wants to be like I'm fucking hot. Like well, I mean, nobody I've wants to do I've got good skin
0: that. and
1: a kind. heart. You do heart. have great skin. <laughs> you have great skin and a kind heart. I mean that is jackpot type shit. So you know. Anyway, <laughs> this is me, myself, I and you with Mel and Tam.
0: From Cindy Crawford to Felicia Rashad, and everywhere in between, we are joined by a group of folks who discuss what they feel defines beauty and the elements that factor into those ideals. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Uh, tonight, we are going to talk about standards of beauty, and I'm super excited about this topic. Um, I think that we are going to have a great conversation. There's going to be um, lots of maybe uncomfortable topics, maybe some hard topics, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be informative and insightful and I'm super excited. Um, so I kind of want to start out talking about my questionable tastes, uh, at a very young age. I've always been attracted to humor, but in addition to that, I can recall my very first crushes being Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters. Little Shop of Horrors. Um, I also had a small thing for Peter Scaleri. He was the other bosom buddy, not Tom Hanks, but the other one. You younger kids might remember him as Hannah's gay dad from Girls. As I got a little bit older, I was super into Scott Baio. And quite frankly, in like looking back, I think that that might be the most disappointing of the three. Um, So I kind of want to just get a feel for the room Lonnie, who was your first celebrity crush? And what would you, uh, what are those attributes?
2: It was a little weird with me um, because I didn't uh, really really come out as gay. And so for a long time, I just kind of had celebrity crushes that were like cool for young girls to have. So obviously New Kids on the Block and Joey McIntyre. But my very first true celebrity crush was actually uh, Barbara Streisand. And I I also loved um, to tell you the truth when I was younger. I had pictures of Barbara Streisand on my wall. I had pictures of of, uh, Bette Midler and Sally Field and Glenn Close.
0: Okay, so moment of truth. I was obsessed with Gidget. (laughs) (laughs) 100% with you on that one. Um, As far as Barbara Streisand and Bette Midler, were you attracted to their talent? Was it something about them physically? What can you tell me about those attributes?
2: I think that with with, with Barbara, when, I mean, I didn't know it was exactly a crush at the time. And I think that when we're younger, some of our crushes are done to more conform with what crushes would make sense to our peers. And Barbara Streisand does none of those things, I mean, especially as a female. She's significantly older than me, even at that time. Um, and I, I think I just, you know, I, I, I love talent, and I loved her voice, and I do think there's something about uh, Jewish culture, particularly in singing, and also just kind of that look that I've always gone for. And so I actually found her kind of very pronounced features and her very pronounced nose um, quite extraordinary.
0: Aldine, what can you tell me about your celebrity crush, your first celebrity crush, and what those attributes were?
3: Um, so, you know, I, uh, well, family you know, everyone else doesn't know, I grew up in, uh, Barcelona. Um, I, uh, I was the only non-white person anywhere you looked. Um, so that was just, you know, uh, a family that was portrayed in TV that kind of looked someone like me. So... Um, I don't know why Claire and not any of the kids that were closer to my age. I can't explain that, and maybe I can pay someone to tell me about that. At yeah, some that point. might but, be that might uh, be a different
0: episode. Alden, yeah. <laughs> that is very interesting. Growing up um, in a place where you're not surrounded by a lot of representation, just like in your everyday life, but there is you know, a symbol on television or a character on television that, you know, for one reason or another that you're drawn to. And I think we're gonna talk about this a lot tonight, but representation and how much it matters and imagery and all of these other things. Um, I was obviously very heavily influenced by pop culture. And then also growing up on the central coast in California, you sort of, you see one thing and it's not even so much about attraction as it is about availability, right? So I'm super curious, um, Lonnie, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. As of right now, how do you feel like your upbringing influenced your current um, preferences in a partner?
2: That's interesting for me, right? I mean, because most of, uh, so much of my childhood revolves around the Mormon church. And um, I, I certainly did not think I was gay at the time. As far as what the look I go for, um, it does seem that I really like mixed individuals that tend to the like Caucasian mixed side, which is a, a little narcissistic because that is exactly the family I came from. It's a it's a Polynesian Asian white household, and so usually what tends to come out uh, in my preferences is darker hair, darker eyes, uh, darker skin, but somewhat of a little bit of a kind of mixed Caucasian look. I guess you could could think of it a little bit like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe um, Persian or... Um, that type of look and I think that that had and I, I also really like just mixed Asians or any kind of mixed as if it's a mixed thing I, I there's something about it that really speaks to me and I think a lot of what speaks to me and that is that I I'm mix <laughs> and and those are the things that I kind of gravitate for make sense to me because I've spent so much of my life trying to figure out how I aesthetically fit in to this world because I'm clearly not not exactly white but i'm like obviously a little white or more than a little white so i think that it it, it affected me particularly in that respect obviously on the on the sex side um i i, I failed uh, my my upbringing that way and, and 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 went towards females but but certainly i do think that being kind of seeing that look I also kind of just assumed it was like white, but like now I'm just like clearly it's actually mixed white, <laughs> but but I, I I do think that just being raised in that kind of mixed household, you know, all of my family on my dad's side have married either Polynesians or Hispanics or you know the, the whole gamut. So I have a very 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 mixed family. Um, and I, I think I kind of kept that that aesthetic, just a, 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 where where you have different kinds of um, cultures kind of together in a in um, in features. I, I tend to like that. I find it interesting.
0: Thank you for sharing that, um, Nicole. Same question: How do you feel like your upbringing affected your current preferences in a partner?
4: I'm fortunate for me. Um, we are like a mixed pack of nuts, but it's always just been about family, about love. Um, you know, my brother is, what, two years older than me. He's never dated a black girl in his entire life. So there has always been biracial. We're a military family. So, you know, we have British in us. You know, there's a lot of Hispanics, Samoans, Hawaiians. Like, so in our household, we just grew up with, is this person good? Do they have a good heart? Do they have good intentions for you? You know, um, and just are they stable? Like they need to work. So everybody's got to pull their weight, you know, because when you're in a military family, like, if you've never had to experience that kind of community togetherness because at one time or another, there's always somebody needing something or not available. So yeah, you call it deployment now, but in our day, it was TDY. And then, so, you know, it's like, oh, well, so-and-so's family is TDY. Okay, we need to cook for them. Okay, well, I'll do the car pickup and you can do the drop off and we'll give her every other Wednesday as a mom day. Like, it just was like the come through. And like Alden was saying, like about being um, in Barcelona, I was born in Germany, and I can remember the little kids wanting to touch my skin to see if the black came off. Now you take my mom, who's 20 years older, who was born in Spain, and she's telling me the exact same story. You're talking about I grew up in a household with a black mom and a black dad that argued in Spanish so that we wouldn't know that they were arguing. So we had so much culture and just diversity in our household that that spilled over into my dating life.
0: I love that. And I think it it speaks to growing up in and around a military installation, right? You build this sense of community and you grow up looking at so many people who don't look the same as you or who don't speak the same as you. And it gives us this really interesting perspective And Lucas, I think that you can speak to that a little bit. Um, You didn't necessarily grow up on a military base, but you grew up in the Bronx, right? So um, tell us a little bit about um, how your upbringing influenced your current tastes or your your current standards of beauty.
5: Brooklyn, first and foremost. Um, (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Get it straight.
0: I won't do it again.
5: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I yes, I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, and um, I, it, it was an extremely diverse, I think Brooklyn now is a, a little bit different than Brooklyn was um, when I was growing up, but it, it still is extremely diverse. Um, but I was just, I think I was exposed to just so many different cultures and so many different um, people from um, so many different places, first generation, second generation, um, and um, I, I think I learned some, um, some of what I was looking for at home. Um, I think I definitely uh, was instilled with um, looking for a sense of humor, looking for intelligence, um, and looking for altruism, for sure, at, at home. Um, but I think the ideas of what could be attractable, or could be attractive, I should say. Um, those definitely, um, the ideas I got at home were definitely mixed with the ideas that um, all my various friends were bringing from their homes and um, the, the, the general culture of Brooklyn, which was different um, than what the culture was at home. So um, I think I got a nice mix And I got to uh, kind of compare and contrast as well.
0: So, aesthetically, nervous guys. It's
5: okay. (laughs) So,
0: aesthetically or visually, there wasn't one thing. It was you were, um, and don't let me speak for you. I don't want to put words into your mouth by any means. But what I think I hear you saying is you were just so immersed in all of this culture that you were able to look maybe a little bit beyond what you see, or at least now you're able to look beyond maybe first impressions and dig a little deeper and find the, the feelings that maybe you grew up with.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we were all sold a certain idea of what we're supposed to like and what we're supposed to find beautiful and attractive um, and our relation with media um, and television and whatever, there's so many images that are constantly being thrown at us that we're supposed to kind of homogenize um, or that they're homogenized and they kind of homogenize our ideas of what, um, we should be striving for and what we should be looking for. And I think I was lucky enough to have a lot of other, um, ideas and realities and perceptions that I was exposed to and got to internalize and, um, helped form, a, a wider view of, um, what people look like first and foremost, um and um, what sort of uh, things other people are looking for. Um, like I was saying before, with, with uh, comparing celebrity crushes, a lot of people had a lot of different responses that were not Cindy Crawford. And so then you know, you have to go look them up and find out who, who all these other women are that I, I didn't know about. And so um, I think, yeah, definitely being exposed as a young kid to um, all these different uh, folks um, and that, that, I mean, that's as a young kid, but then as I got older, I mean, I was meeting women whose families were from, you know, the whole world. And so I got to interact with, with women that looked all sorts of different ways. And um, they're beautiful. So um, I, I think a lot of people don't, don't have the, the privilege of being exposed to so many different um, types of beauty. And um, and then they get stuck uh, or pigeonholed in, in looking for a certain set. Um, so lucky, uh, like what I was I was saying before, um, actually I wasn't saying this before, I, w- I wrote it to you guys, but uh, just like, I think I've had to unlearn some of the things that I, I learned as a kid of what should be beautiful. I had to unlearn that Cindy Crawford is the idea of beauty um, because she's a very, uh, narrow view of beauty and there 's just a, a much greater world out there
0: that is so well put um, and thank you so much for sharing all of that um, Aldine I just want to I want to wrap up this this quick segment before we move on to the next area. Um, but what are some of the things that influenced growing up, looking back? what are some of the things that influenced your current your current taste in, or what you consider to be
3: beautiful? Yeah, so uh, I think experiences have affected my preferences more than my upbringing. Um, I won't say that my upbringing didn't, Um, you know, my, I was raised by my grandmother and uh, she had very strong opinions about certain things and some of them very problematic uh, looking back, but, I don't think it affected me from uh, like a group of people uh, type of thing. So, uh, you know, I I won't get into like some of the comments that she mentioned, but, or that, you know, she said, but like, uh, um, I'm more focused on the individual. Um, So kind of to what uh, Lucas was talking about, about what does a person have to offer? Um, You know, you've known me for a while, you know, I'm rarely serious, so I I do enjoy someone that can be silly and has a good sense of humor and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But as far as like um, physical attributes, um, yeah, like I've I've never considered skin color as a, you know, one of the boxes to check. Uh, I think earlier on, um, I had an idea of, um, what I wanted my children to look like. So I would, I think that was the the only time that I was really, um, I don't know, excluded other people. Just, uh, I wanted, um, my kids to be my shade ish, you know, uh, around that area. So, um, little you know they can go a little darker a little lighter but uh not um uh, yeah i just I, I wanted this to match i guess <laughs> it's this thing and um and that was just my idea of, of a family in, in in my mind uh not necessarily like what the mother would look like but just that my kid and i look related or <laughs> look like uh we belong together um Yeah but uh, upbringing, honestly like uh, availability is what did it with me. I was very awkward looking uh, growing up so uh, I was just happy if anyone gave me the time of day. I think
0: you bring up a a really good point. Um, We talk about colorism an awful lot and we talk about, um, you know, we've had conversations about even kids not as you as you say matching their parents right if you were talking about multiracial families or or any of that and not having to deal with some of the things that come along with that being asked if you are your child's babysitter or nanny or a complete stranger asking if this child belongs to you um, so I think that there is something to to that um, but that also kind of Brings me to something that I really want to talk about tonight. Um, I don't think we've got the time or capacity to talk about it, talk about it in its full extent. Um, but I think that we can just scratch the surface and, and start to dig a little deeper, um, and that is the topic of colorism. And I kind of want to throw this to Lucas. He's has a, an amazing, um, just a view of colorism. And again, I don't want to speak for him. So Lucas, what can you, what can you tell me about what colorism is to be?
5: Um, Well, I I think I've, I've taken a long time um, and it's been a long journey for me to learn a lot more about racism and all its various tentacles and and how far they reach. Um, And colorism is honestly something newer to me. Um, I, I think I've always noticed it, but um, I didn't always understand it and um, you know in, in America, we call anyone with even a, a slightly you know I forget the what is it like a 16th drop of of black blood and they're black. so um, creating that that black monolith um, is is something that that was the first idea of of like racism is just like grouping all these black people together um, that that many of whom don't look alike. But um, learning about colorism, I think actually I I learned more when I left the States um, and saw how even in countries where um, most of the folks looked pretty much the same to me, the shade difference of their skin um, meant or was a large indicator of how well they lived and and where in society they fell, and I noticed it in the Philippines and I noticed it in Brazil, and I noticed it um, in in a, all over Asia, um, where um, the, the folks that you see begging are all darker skinned, um, and so then coming back to the states uh, and applying that here, um, I have a couple of um, girlfriends who are. Um, pretty dark-skinned and um, talking with them about um, who the the men in their lives um, or who our, our circle of friends really end up dating versus um, just having casual relationships with and who, um, you know, wh- where, where I see Black representation, they don't see it because the, the folks that they're seeing are light-skinned. Um, And they don't feel the same about um, how, uh, you know, that representation affects them. Um, And I think uh, what I've learned is that colorism is is super insidious um, and really a a really destructive form of of racism. And um, it almost, is a form of self-policing where, um, you know, the the white supremacy doesn't have to be present for its um, effects to be felt.
0: Thank you for sharing that, and I think you put it so well, just in in its insidious nature, right? And how white supremacy, all of that, all of those connections, I think, were just so smart. Um, Melanie, did you have something that you wanted to add?
1: I do. I think when um, we talk about colorism, you know, there's Lucas's point of view and his experience, which is fairly new. And then there's the black experience of colorism. Um, And, you know, growing up my whole life uh, being told, you know, basically lighter is better. And that example being played out my entire life by every experience I walk through, you know, keep in mind that a is a darker hue than I am. Um, so I watch her experiences side by side. We grew up together, went to college together, lived together, worked together, live in the same town now, and our experiences can be quite different, and 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 how we are treated, and um, it's something that is often taught within our families, and I think that that's something that goes back. A lot longer than people realize. It goes back to working in the field or working in the house. It goes back to um, this idea that if you are lighter and you can pass, which there are a lot of members in my family who were white passing. Um, I remember feeling differently about that now that I have a child who is biracial who is white passing. If I, you know, was in the store with him, there, I mean, if I went away tomorrow, nobody would even know that he had a black mother. Um, so that is, um, that's something I think that we should talk about. I think that um, we need to understand that as well, because there's this element of shame in the darkness of your skin and this idea that you are elevated to this higher being because the closer to whiteness you are, um, the closer to being equal you are.
0: In, in addition to, you know, all of those will say it, privileges, right, that come along with being of a lighter shade, Um, what are some of, there's there's another element to that, right, there's also a fetishism towards lighter skinned people, which kind of goes hand in hand with that, right, so if, and maybe Aldine can speak more to this, but I just remember growing up my entire life, and if there was anyone of mixed race, it was just like, oh, he's going to have such cute babies, or I want to be with, the, you know, my, my white or my white friends, I want to be with the black dudes. We have cute babies or the other way around, you know, black friends, and black peers saying, Oh, I need to find white dudes. We can just have cute babies. And there's this, there's this idea. And you've both touched on it about having lighter skinned children and that being ideal. Um, Aldine, Is that anything that you can speak to just growing up with lighter skin or even your exper- experiences, like as an adult in the dating world?
1: Yeah, Aldine, tell us about how you want to have only light-skinned children. Because you did say
3: that. <laughs> tell so us more. Yeah. I think they could slide up the, the scale. Uh, and down. Uh, yeah, so for, from a dating perspective, um, when I, uh, I lived in Wyoming for, for three years uh, in high school, and um i don't I don't know this to be true, but I'm just you know taking what I experience as, as evidence um i you know there were there were probably like twelve um black kids that I hung out with in the whole city, like I think there was only twenty uh, but uh, it literally took me three days to to see another black person when I first moved there but um uh yeah. I I used to joke because I I just called myself like the gateway into into blackness. So um, there were some, uh, you know, white uh, girls that um, what it felt like is they were interested but didn't want to, you know, they just wanted to dip the toe in to kind of see how it would go before making a full commitment. Uh, but I definitely, um, was, was a pass through before, like, uh, uh girls like seriously dated some of my darker friends. Um, so second stone gateway, whatever. Um, the, one, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, talk about, uh, colorism within the, the black, um, community. I, I think it goes, um, both ways. I do agree uh, with you, Melanie, that there is a sense of like, if you're, if you're lighter, you, you have, um, an advantage. Um, I do remember like, uh, my, my paternal, um, grandmother, you know, like just basically giving me shit for being light skinned. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been called high yellow or highlighter or or anything like that by any of your family members, but uh, yeah, uh, I got that uh, quite a bit from some cousins as well. But um, so I, I think uh, I think there is um, <clears throat> um, some examples of it going uh, either way. Um, you know, in the black community, we also you know you'll you'll be like at the playground or you know on the basketball court or whatever. Uh, with your friends and you know the darkest person of the group gets kind of shit on because uh, you know there's jokes about uh, that like you're so black that blah 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 blah. blah. And
0: this this sort of brings me back though to something that Nicole was saying earlier so we can talk about the fetishism of lighter-skinned people but then you were very specific in saying that lighter-skinned people is is not your jam and when it comes to standards of beauty like that's not that's not an element that you necessarily consider not to say that there aren't gorgeous people of lighter shades of brown but as far as your personal tastes that's not something that or you know what i'm saying that's not something that's not an area that you have ever delved into
4: no um I can remember being in college and understand I graduated high school in Las Vegas and I went down south to Louisiana for my undergrad before I went to SMU at Texas. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I was down South, we're in Louisiana and I had a friend and he's like, you know, you can't go home. You know, it's too far. Do you want to come home with me this weekend? You know, my parents are on my ass about dating and stuff. I just need you to come home with me, let them see a girl. So then they'll stop pushing me on. So clearly he's covering himself. He's gay. We're down South. You're talking about the whole gay in the black community in the Bible Belt. So he's like, Hey, I need you to come home with me this break. So I'm like, great. Yeah. Good food. It's better than staying in the dorm. We went home and like all good wisdom happens in old black families, it was in the kitchen and his mom was cooking and she's old school flour and all the seasoning and a brown paper bag coming from the grocery store. And she's just shaking, shaking, shaking. And she was telling me, baby, you almost don't make it. You know, my son can't bring anything in this house that's darker than this brown paper bag. And I'm thinking, I almost didn't make it. What the hell are you talking about, lady? Because that, attack of racism in the way of shades, colorism, I had not experienced. See, on a military base, they all treat you crazy because they're like, oh, you guys are getting on the bus to go on the base. So it doesn't matter. You're black, white, Samoan, mixed. You just are not a local. Okay. (laughs) So you don't get that shades within. And I had just never had it so upfront. And so as we're driving to the next aunt's house and I'm sitting here telling him, like, you know, your mom really said something you grew up in a house where does this affect how you date guys, um, how you, you know, pick who you pick, you know, does that stay in your psyche that even though you're so scared to tell them that you're gay, when you are selecting the type of people you want to date, are you thinking about this color conversation? And he was like, hell yes, absolutely. And I had no idea. And it blew the socks off of my mind. And that made me think about how I felt about that group of light skin. And for me, the reason I felt that way is because like Alden said, when you're with family, and you're a mixed pack of nuts, it's clearly different how I could see my cousins that were very fair skin with like sandy red blonde hair and green eyes full black, they just happen to have, you know, a ginger for a dad and a very light skin mom, but beautiful girls, they got jobs, they were not qualified for because they could put that black girl at the front desk in Louisiana and they could still keep white business and they could still keep black business and they could say, oh no, we employ African Americans. Look at my receptionist. And these girls were dumb as rocks. The only thing that they could set back on was being pretty. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like really, that's it? And they were just like, oh uh, -uh. I'm not staying in the sun. We'd go to Miami and they'd be like, I'm not laying out with you guys. I can't get dark like I don't want to live that life I don't need that pressure and I'm like wow because we were young and having these conversations I just think
0: back to being young and you know wanting to hang out at my friend's pool or when we were out at track meets like if we're going to be out in the sun I've got to take my glasses off because I'm going to get a line and I'm going to get super dark And like, do I, I would keep my sweatshirt on and my hoodie on and it would be like 95 degrees out, but I can't get any darker than I already am. I can't afford to get any darker than I already am. And that's, that's just sort of the mindset that you grow up with when you've got darker skin and you live in a community where not everybody does. Right. And if we're talking about the standards of beauty, that's, that's sort of what that looks
1: like. I think one of the things that you said earlier to Nicole that kind of struck me is that I, there's just this fighting against, you know, the dark skinned girl and the light skinned girl and she gets more and she gets more recognized and she's deemed more beautiful or, you know, and then, you know, there's this animosity, which is already an issue between women in general, but within the black community, you throw shade into it and it's just, let's multiply it right? So I just I really appreciate everything you just said because it's really really important.
0: Lucas, did you have something that you wanted to add to this conversation of colorism?
5: Yeah I was going to piggyback off of what Nicole was saying um, just in terms of the the power of beauty and how beauty gives you access and beauty gives you um, so much in this world. I mean um, I don't have them on hand but there are studies that show You know, good-looking kids get better schooling. Uh, Good-looking people get less um, years on the same sentence. Um, And so mixing that with colorism, um, as we find lighter shades more attractive, it equals power. And so it's not just, I mean, while we're all talking about who we want to have sex with, it's not only that. It's also access and purchasing power and the jobs you get. And yeah, the makeup that you can purchase. Um, and so it's not, um, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. It's, it's not just about um, good looks. It's about what those good looks um, grant you in this world.
0: Thank you, Lucas. Aldine, did you have something to add?
3: Um, yeah, I just had two words. Aunt um, Viv. Um head on uh television, right? So um um there's a reason why like Stacy Dash had a career, why um uh you know, like just music videos, it's all you know, they'll have quote unquote diversity, but it's it's typically uh lighter uh women. Um I I think I think there's more Colorism, and, and I hope I'm, not, I'm about to put my foot in my mouth. Um, in uh, on the female side of things, um, as, as far as like standards of beauty, I think um, darker uh, men are more accepted. Um, just as, as far as like in, in media and like television and, and things like that, um, we, we have shows with um, darker men. Um, but um there are far more uh light-skinned women than there are dark-skinned women in tv shows movies um, so yeah just that's all
0: absolutely and i i don't want to go too much into this because we're going to have a full-length conversation about the depiction of people of color in film and television but i think that that probably speaks to it is very easy to typecast a dark skin, black man, right? He's going to be one of very few archetypes. When you have someone, a man, right, of lighter skin, it's more difficult to put them into a box. Like, who are they? Are they a doctor with a rough side? Because he's probably not gonna be the bank robber, right? Because he's too light to fit that description. And as far as um, women, I was, I grew up with the mindset that, oh, well, black women, dark black women are aggressive or they're this or they're that. And you sort of build up this, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary, necessarily a shell or an exterior, but it definitely makes you feel one way about the color of your skin. Um, so I don't know how to ask this next question, guys, but I'm going to do it. Um, (laughs) have you ever said to yourself, I would, but he or she is too dark or too light or I could totally hook up with this person, but I don't foresee a long term relationship because of this or because of that or have you been on the receiving end of that? Has someone ever been so bold as to say, you don't fit my
1: description? Or the passive-aggression version of that, a passive-aggressive version of that is, that's just not my preference.
4: Oh yeah. So that preference is a huge. I don't date fat girls, but you are so fun. You are nothing like I've ever experienced. I mean, you said you cheered and you horseback ride, but I mean, I've never dated a big girl before, but you know, I might could give you a try. I just don't see you fitting in with my social group. Why, because I go to the opera, I love classical music. Yeah, you can get me on a hood day, get a little Tupac. You can catch me in my country mode. I'm going in boots and booty shorts, but how can you just come on this date get to the corner, turn around and be like, no. Nah.
0: I can relate. I get it. I know exactly what it is that you're saying. Um, Lonnie, confidence. Is, is confidence something that you can see? Um, how do you make yourself see more than what your first impression is?
2: I'm very stubborn at understanding that people are really weird and it would take well more than one date unless it goes spectacularly wrong. <laughs> and there's something about that situation that says get the heck out of there because they might kill you. <laughs> I, I think that it, it takes a little longer than even one, two or, f- or maybe five dates. I mean, I, I, I very much with myself, um, you know, I know who I tend to be attracted to, but most of the relationships I've been in, people have pursued me. I'm quite shy. and But w- when I do date, I, it really does feel like uh, on, on, on like a colorism scale or anything like that, although I did say that it, it seems like my, my preference from my childhood is mixed. As I've gotten older, it's really just like who's available and sounds interesting and I'll give it a try and I'll probably give it five tries. And after five tries, then like there's no more tries.
0: Lucas, let's talk about confidence and how it plays into beauty standards. Is confidence something that you feel like you can see?
5: Yes. Um, I think that we're super adept at reading um, body language. And um, I think definitely tip you to confidence and where people are at. Um, but um, I don't know where, where my mind went when you were asking about confidence was um, just, um, I think how easy it's been for me to be confident. Um, I, I feel like I fit a lot of the beauty standards of, um, what America perceives. Um, I'm a tall skinny white guy and, um, I have a pretty symmetrical face and on that I've skated for, for quite a while. And I, I mean, i I think I've definitely gotten opportunities in this world based on my appearance. Um, and I've definitely gotten a lot of, um, um, you know, pats on the back, and i 've been told many times that i'm i 'm good looking i 've been told by many people i 'm beautiful and so i I think when I was thinking about you know finding somebody who 's confident, we, a lot of people will say, "Oh, I want someone who 's confident and I think for some people that 's easier um, to be confident in how they look and and um, I, <laughs> I I think i'm i'm more confident now that I understand why. Um, I used to be confident, um, and I think going back to unlearning things, um, and going back to your previous question, um, I think I've had to unlearn some preferences, um, definitely in terms of light and dark. I mean, I remember when I was younger thinking I didn't like anyone too dark and anyone too light. Um, and, um, I think that there's a lot of preferences that we all have that I think we really need to, to look harder at as to why we have those preferences. Um, And some people say, Oh, that's just what I like, but I think we've all been conditioned in many, many ways. Um, And um, confidence is one of those things I think where, um, yeah, we all say we all, we all say we want somebody that's confident, but um, why are these people confident? Why are there so many people that, um, are so confident in their skin and so many people that uh, struggle with how they look. Um, and what are we telling those people about what, why they should be confident and um, how they gain their confidence? So uh, that was a meandering way to answer your question, but- um, No, but
0: it was a great way to answer the question. And I don't think that I have thought about confidence in that way. Um, I think it's one thing for someone to just exude confidence, right? It, um, whether it's false confidence or if it's true, if it's like, if it's something inert within them, but why do they have that? Is it because they've got this smashing personality? Is it sense of humor? Do they have some hidden talent that nobody knows anything about? What are those things? And then it sort of forces you to dig deeper. So I, I actually love that answer. Um, Melanie, do you, do you have something to add?
1: Yeah, no, I just want to tell this story because I feel like it's super relevant. Um, Some of you I've known since I was very young, um, some of you not so much. Um, We grew up in a place where there were a lot of like, blonde, skinny, pretty girls and I was not blonde or particularly skinny or, you know, surfed. So I mean, there was just, I wasn't a part of that. And I remember making this very conscious effort. And looking in the mirror at 12 years old, like one summer, like before like the eighth grade or seventh grade or something, and literally saying to myself, well, you're going to be smart and you're going to be funny because you're not pretty. So you have to be these other things because those are the things. I mean, my dad, I, my dad's a huge influence. He's like, oh, read, 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 question the narrative all the time. You know what I mean? So I was that was very much ingrained in me. It's like, you're not going to be these things and you're not going to live up to these standards. So you better fucking be smart and you better at least be a fucking good hang, <laughs> you know, but that was a conversation. So it's funny to hear everybody talk about confidence because those are, some of those things come with time. And for me, it was a decision. It was a decision on a particular day that this is the energy you're going to put out into the world.
0: I happen to love that story. Thank you for sharing it. Um. So, I just wanna thank everybody so much for all of your time, for being here with us tonight. It was amazing conversation. Um, I appreciate your stories and your perspectives and for being so open. And in the spirit of openness, I've got one final question that I would like to toss out to the room. Um, What do you find to be the most valuable thing about having an open heart? give you two seconds to think about it. One, two. Nicole, <laughs> what do you find to be the most valuable thing about having an open heart?
4: I feel like having an open heart, the sky is the limit. You know, so Lainey spoke a lot about confidence and the work that you do to get there. You know, that if you're overcoming trauma, if you're working through some things, um, whether it's grown and it's built up over time, I feel like Openness allows for you to be vulnerable. You know, because it's normally when you're with intimate people that see that vulnerability. So it's with your best friend who totally gets, you know, why you're crying about missing this fill in the blank. It's with your family. It's with that spouse. When, you know, you're with a group of friends and you just totally, you know, pulled the hottest guy in the club or you got free drinks for everybody or, you know, they say you just walked in there and demanded that job or that. It's real easy to high five and solidify and congratulate confidence but when you have an openness you're allowing a vulnerability that I feel like takes more guts than that confident persona that you put out I feel like me personally the things that people mistake in my life oh Nicole you're so confident you don't care you'll just walk up you'll just do this you don't care about your hair don't care about your size don't care about their race but it none of those things are on my mind I'm not thinking about confidence it's openness like Every single person has a gem to offer. And hey, I want some of your gold, baby. You can never have too many tools in your toolbox. So even my worst, most mean spirited, I hate you. I don't recognize your religion. I don't recognize your bigotry. I don't recognize your politics. I absolutely have a piece of gold stuck in there that I get to take with me to help me understand something I've never understood before. Not everybody is open like that. So I feel like, closed-minded or closed-off individuals for fear of hurt, for fear of rejection, for fear of not fitting in, for fear of judgment, for fear of loss of money, for fear of all of those things, you miss out on so much by not taking that chance on openness. Sorry. I know we're cut time.
0: <laughs> Don't apologize. That is exactly why you're here. Thank you so much. Lucas, what do you believe is the most valuable thing about having an open heart?
5: Um, I think being open um shows that you have um gotten past the narrow view that you have been taught of um what you should be looking for um and i feel like i'm beating a dead horse here but um i you know there's there's a lot of things that we get told um are beautiful and are desirable and by having an open heart, you are getting past that and getting into, um, you're finding out what you actually would, <laughs> you have to be vulnerable and you have to have an open heart to find out what you actually like and what actually suits you. And um, I think um, if you never open yourself up to all the possibilities that are out there, then um, unfortunately you're gonna keep chasing Cindy Crawford. Um, and uh, she's pretty much out of everyone's league. So um, the the idea of being open is, um, is empowering, really. Um, and it's, in the long run, going to make you a lot happier.
0: 100% empowering. Thank you. Aldine, what do you find to be the most valuable thing about having an open heart?
3: Um, I would I would say the the most valuable thing is the uh acceptance that comes with it um, so you know I think most of us are intelligent enough to know that um, everyone comes with their own baggage and their own their own set of flaws uh, and because of those flaws uh, don't necessarily make them uh, less than so um by having an open heart you can accept people that maybe don't uh you know that aren't just like you or um fit a certain um category um it it, it brings you this uh sympathy or empathy to understand uh their their struggle and um you know allows us to treat each other as human um So I I think that's the the most valuable thing from having an open heart. Um, That said, not always the best at having one, but uh, yeah. You leave yourself wide open.
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Lonnie, (laughs) what is the most valuable thing about having an open heart?
2: What a cool question. I I love that you even put this in. You know, in Buddhism, open heartedness is usually associated with broken heartedness. Like the idea of an open heart means that you are so vulnerable that it can be pierced by the pain and suffering of the world, as well as perhaps your own hopes and heartbreaks for expectations. And so when I think of an open heart, I, I, I really usually think of broken heartedness and the power of broken heartedness to touch reality because what what it basically does is it it gives you this uh, experiential proof that you are human which is an extraordinary tool to be authentic and and loving and uh, open to connection in the world but open hardness does have pitfalls and it is the reason why most of us have not worked on it and it is because the other side of that coin is broken hardness but broken hardness is this vulnerability that actually gives us quite a a great amount of power as humans, because if we're open to it and we're constantly touching things that can penetrate us, we are truly actually living more, right? We're becoming authentic humans.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Lonnie. As always, thanks so much for listening and thank you for spending your time with us till next time.